0: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest year. And a very
1: good morning to you as we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme with John Paul as always taking your calls at 1850 333103 anything you want to share with us we would love to hear from you you can text whatsapp 086 086 to 103 103 and of course you can always email the program patricia at c103.ie and let's start with an email in from Michelle to say Hi When is work on Mallow Bridge due to finish? A flashing billboard has said it will be closed for July and August Well we're now into September It can take 20 minutes to get through the roundabout especially in the evening times I'm really fed up as my work trip is now taking me an extra half an hour every evening I would really appreciate if you could to get an update for me on this. Well, the latest update and uh, the last update we had was the back end of last week when uh, Cork County Council told us that they were delaying the reopening of the northbound lane of the bridge which is then the knock-on effect. It's causing the backlog at the roundabout. Until September the ninth, and September the ninth is next Monday. So when we got Michelle's email in, we'll said we'd send another email off to Cork County Council just to ask them can they confirm, please, that the northbound lane of Mallow Bridge will reopen next Monday, September the ninth, and also I'm trying to if they can give us a time. it's going to be open. will it be reopened for example for the early morning traffic and that will be important for people bringing children to and from school and also for people getting uh, to and from work and it will save that horrendous delays that is now occurring in different parts of the town and especially around the roundabout and of course we know the reason for probably an extra week delay is what it's looking at at the moment is because of the masonry work that they're doing on the bridge and I have to say what I've seen of the masonry work, that is such an art isn't it stone masonry it really is quite spectacular. I don't know who's responsible for it but they really are very very uh, talented. Mallow Bridge is about 250 years old so they want to make sure when they're replacing masonry on the bridge that it will look uh, perfect and the police got it'll last for another 250 years and also obviously then there was problems with the relocation of existing utilities and they wanted to make sure that they're future proofing uh, everything and they're working in a very confined space so they had very genuine reasons for the delay that's fine and they apologise for any inconvenience caused but people now like Michelle and you can sense it in her email are starting to get sick of it just enough is enough move on get the work done and uh, be done with it so we as I say we've sent an email off this morning if we get something back from the council before the end of the programme today we will bring it uh, to you and fingers crossed that everything is going according to plan and that the bridge will reopen next Monday hopefully in the morning time and we'll be plain sailing after that. Well, kind of plain sailing because they did say in their directive to us last week about the extension of the closure of the northbound lane that future lane and road closures required to facilitate the construction of the boardwalk will be carried out at night time. But then they add two words after that, where possible. OK, because we had initially been told, like we know that the boardwalk has been constructed off site and then it will be brought in. And I remember specifically asking um, Councillor Gerald Murphy will that mean further road closures and he was saying no that they're going to move that in at night time and pop it into place so you get up the next morning and it will be gone but now they seem to be changing that to where possible. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that uh, at, uh, as well. Anyway, as I say, hopefully the council will get back to us uh, before we finish up uh, today. Can I also reference back just very briefly to yesterday because Mary sent in, McCroom sent in a text at the end of Joe Heffernan's slot yesterday and it came in too late for me to give it a mention and it's a recommendation. So I do want to... Uh, and because Mary took the time to text us, I do want to read out her text. We were talking yesterday about mindfulness and how mindfulness can help people who suffer from anxiety. And we're going through various suggestions on mindfulness. And that led Mary to say, I highly recommend Dr. Eddie Murphy's book called Becoming Your Real Self Mary says For 10 years I suffered from panic attacks in public places I started to avoid certain places because of it then having read this book Becoming Your Real Self uh, I learned techniques to overcome it now five years later I have my confidence back and I'm going to Daniel O'Donnell concerts again I actually made my comeback the same year Daniel O'Donnell came back after an extended break in 2015 he started back in August of 2015 with a show in the INEC in Killarney and that also inspired me to make my comeback hope this helps somebody else out there with similar issues uh, thank you that's thank you Mary that's a, a really positive text and hopefully People listening who suffer from panic attacks, and that's what people do they do avoidance in order to rather than go through the panic attack, I won't face the fear, I will just avoid the area. And that can make the world a very small place for a lot of people who suffer with panic attacks if they start avoiding places and stop going places before you know it and it can creep up and it has crept up on people, they're not able to leave their own home and they end up developing full-blown agoraphobia where literally they don't leave the confines uh, of their house and that is no way to live. There's a big, beautiful world out there and there are wonderful Daniel O'Donnell concerts uh, to attend. So you need to get out there and get the help. There's a lot of help out there and there are a lot of really good self-help books and there's one to add to the list. Dr. Eddie Murphy's book, becoming your real self. Thank you, Mary. Now, coming up on the programme today... We're going to be discussing in a couple of minutes the high cost of new apartments in Cork City. And this study that has looked at apartments that are currently being built at the moment and looking at the price of them and then trying to work out who's going to be able to afford it and looking at the facts and the figures which we'll go through on the programme today, it really is putting them out of the reach of most, certainly low, but also middle income earners. And this would even be families a husband and wife a young couple trying to save, to get a deposit together and, to, and trying to get a mortgage together that have to be earning well over €100,000 to be able to afford one of these apartments. And that really is putting it out of the reach of many, many uh, young uh, families. So we're going to discuss that. And then I was reading a survey on people who rent in this country at the moment and that found, and this really doesn't come as any surprise because it shows it's the, the cost of renting, that seven out of 10 People that are renting at the moment believe they will never be able to afford to buy a property. Large numbers also worry about being able to afford to rent. Such has been the increases in the cost of accommodation uh, lately. And this was a survey that was commissioned by Taxback.com. Nine out of 10 of those who took part in the survey who rent said they worry to varying degrees about being able to meet their monthly repayments affordability has become a major issue as rents are so high people are simply struggling just to pay that rent to keep that private property private rented property over their, over their head and then there's all of the other monthly costs and it's becoming such a drain that young couples are simply just not even able to save a deposit in order to buy a property even if they were cleared to get a mortgage then they then find themselves in the situation that they need to save for a deposit and if they're paying very high rents They're simply not going to be able to uh, afford to do it. So while people in rented accommodation are worried about it, we know we are continuing to have a homeless crisis in this country. And more than 3,700 children across the country started school either this week or last week without a home. And that's pointing to a deepening homeless crisis in this country and these are the latest government figures they show that 10,275 adults and children needed emergency accommodation in the month of July and that unfortunately is an increase and it's only a small increase but it's an increase of 4% compared to the figures for last year 103 more children became uh, homeless bringing the total now for children living in emergency accommodation living in B&Bs living in hotels, 3,778. Isn't that a shocking uh, figure? The homeless adults remains unchained at 6,497. Uh, of that, the breakdown then for families, 1,721 families. Uh, responding to the figures, the Housing Minister, Owen Murphy, admitted that the situation remains a huge uh, challenge. And the homeless and addiction charity Merchants' Key they say that the deeply they, they say they would read these figures as deeply disheartening, but they also make an interesting point those figures because those figures in themselves the fact that there's over ten thousand adults and children in emergency accommodation would you believe those figures? do not include rough sleepers. They do not include people that are accessing the nightly cafe emergency shelters. It also doesn't include people that, that in the main women who are in domestic violence uh, uh, shelters. So that figure is even higher that in itself is such a worry. So we'll look at the cost of buying apartments in the city uh, today. We're also going to talk about getting on the bus and heading to work. I mean, we'd poor Michelle, who's caught up in traffic every day, she drives to and from work and obviously has to come through Mallow to get to and from work. We are looking at bus fares in East Cork today. Now, last week on the programme we had one listener highlighting the high cost of bus fares out of West Cork. This is a councillor who has done some research into how much it costs Get buses out of East Cork and go to go from East Cork to various parts of the city, and it really is showing that bus fares are quite expensive in this uh, country. What can we do about it? We need to encourage more people to get on buses, to get out of cars. You know, reduce our climate footprint. We know how bad cars are to the environment, and the best way would be if we were all on buses. But we need to make Bus journeys more attractive, and one way of making them more attractive is to make them make bring down the cost on them for the so that people feel that they're getting good bargains when they're going on the bus rather than taking the car. We will be discussing suicide awareness on the program. World Suicide Prevention Day is next week. It's the tenth of September every year, and we have a young teenager sharing how her family was affected by the death of her uh, uncle. And it's interesting to see and hear about this side of suicide because we have a tendency, usually when when we talk about suicide, a lot of the focus, certainly on the suicide believed, would go, say, on the parents of somebody who had um, died by suicide or maybe the spouse or the children. But extended family members also get affected. So we'll be looking at, at that now. Some, if you could call it some good news in that the suicide rate has fallen to its lowest level this century. Although again a little bit like the homeless figures there is an unknown number of cases that go unreported but that that happens all the time. And the provisional figures for suicide for last year 352 suicides again more males than females 282 males, uh, 70 females and men continue to account for 80% of all suicides and that's that's a there's a global trend that's not just here in this country and it's the 45 to 54 age group of men are at the uh, highest uh, risk we will have our Awalia Mabs feature on the programme today and we're looking at debt relief notices for people who find themselves in mortgage arrears so we'll be finding out what exactly a debt relief notice is and if you are struggling with your mortgage and finding yourself uh, in difficulty could this be for you and then it is Wednesday so Peter Dowd we'll be answering all of your gardening questions I can already see uh, some gardening questions coming in for uh, Peter keep them uh, coming if you've been out and about in the garden or maybe you're preparing the garden for wintertime real autumnal feel uh, to the weather today but the temperatures then as we go into the afternoon are, are quite pleasant so uh, it's, it's nice to, we often have and we usually do have a very nice uh, September. It's that book that I mentioned that Mary recommended for anybody suffering from panic attack, a self help book. It's called, somebody's looking for the name of it, Becoming Your Real Self. And it's by Dr. Eddie Murphy. Now, Mary bought the book about five years. I'm assuming it's still in print. Normally, what happens if you go into a bookshop under the self help section, if it's not there? Bookshops are great. They'll order it in for you once you have the details. So Dr Eddie Murphy's Becoming Your Real Self. Or try the library. The library is a great place to get those books as well. Now, can we help out poor old Denise in West Cork who's just WhatsApp to say hi Patricia. I'm hoping you may be able to help me and indeed save others from the heartache that I am currently going through and suffering for the past week. Last Thursday, uh, so a week tomorrow, I had two adorable young dogs who were on my farm in West Cork. They simply vanished into thin air. We have looked everywhere. We've reported it to the guards. We've been onto the rescue centres. We contacted the dog warden. We've asked the postman. We've asked the neighbours. We've gone everywhere and absolutely no sign of our two adorable dogs. Somebody must have taken them. That's the only conclusion that we and the dog warden can now come up with. Please can you warn others that there are such horrible people about and also ask your wonderful listeners to keep an eye open for them. Now, they are toy cross poodles. One is fawn. Now, the little one that's fawn has only got one eye. And then the other is a black cross poodle with pointy ears. They are both wearing black collars and they're both microchipped. So you'd like to think with the microchipping that they may one day show up uh, somewhere. But God almighty, if somebody say, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody just go and steal somebody else's This beautiful, beautiful and adorable little dogs. And the fact that they're toy poodles. Oh, you could just imagine they're absolutely gorgeous. Now, Denise has sent her uh, WhatsApp from, she just says in West uh, Cork, Uh, So I don't know exactly where, but I'm assuming, you know, the fact she's gone to great lengths, they know that the dogs are nowhere local. So she is of the belief that they've been swiped and stolen and taken so they could have ended up uh, anywhere. So if people can keep a lookout for the two, uh, will they be sold on together? Will they be passed on together? I don't know. A fawn. Uh, toy poodle there are poodle crosses by the way one is only one eye so she'd be quite distinctive and then the other is black with very pointy uh, ears and keep a lookout, everybody sort of mind each other and mind each other's uh, pets if anybody saw anything suspicious last Thursday I mean because if you're if you're going to pick up two dogs you have to have some kind of transport with you don't you you're not going to just wander off and say you know come on boys girls follow me like the pipe Piper and march off down the road so you assume that they were bundled into a car or a van or, or something so just be careful out there folks as well is the message that Denise is trying to get through but if anybody has advice I can help out Denise in uh, any way. We'd love to hear from you. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Going to take a break and we're back looking at that study, looking at the cost of new apartment bills in the city.
0: Flora Galga RC103.
2: Matt Lenter, Ashdore Ashdor Mankin Manikin okay, A Matt. Tasha Carrabina is trucked August Rogoke area to lodge a broad net tree. The dayne Vaxey part on pitch perfect tree. Augustus Ashore Ace Clark telephish a timeless Toddier crashed and darcy's or Auguste Leaf a more Ashore Sublime gawily's Glor Manhunt. The worst session for a new rouge. Tomlin Eichin Vlogmat Los Angeles Augustaria Gamalech. Vaxey Parted Grey's Anatomy Big Love August Heroes. A new session. Bye, Anakin Skywalker. the Skinon on-cartoon up, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. On a blue August collar and skin on August the Ascension, right here, Chloe, Vishanika, August Core Television, born Air Coma. Rogue Martin O'Hayo, August Vigay, August Evan ag, Kayla, Angela Stacy, Darvanna McKinley, and Dean Aaron Chaku, Lord Nula. The Blue Girl, Girl College, Davis College, is Michelle Todd Nicker.
0: Cade, three, Kirkig. C103 presents a Taste of West Cork Food Festival, which returns September 6th to 15th. The festival celebrates all that's unique about West Cork. With food markets and cooking demonstrations, talks and exhibitions, children's events, adventures and more. There's something for the whole family.
1: For full schedule of events, see a
0: tasteofwestcork.com. Only on C103.
1: Denise, by the way, has just been back on, whose toy poodles, it looks like, have been... Were swiped last uh, Thursday of last week uh, in West Cork, and I didn't know where. She's come back to me to say she is between two or more and Goline. Okay, so if anybody spotted anything, two or more and Goline last Thursday, anybody acting uh, suspicious? But in the meantime, uh, Denise contacting us because she just wants to give it as a word of warning to others to be very, very careful because it does look like dogs are being uh, stolen eighteen fifty three 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 one o three now a landmark new study has found the cost of new apartments is now beyond the reach of most low to middle income Irish workers with up to 30 percent of the final sale price going directly to the state in taxes and fees. the study was commissioned by Cork Chamber of Commerce and joining me is Sarah Thatch Foley, who's a public affairs executive uh, with the uh, chamber. Good morning to you Sarah
3: Good morning Michelle, how uh, you I'm
1: very well now the study is in conjunction with the Construction uh, Federation. You, did you just look at apartment bills?
3: Um, yeah, so I suppose we, we, the the Chamber of Commerce in, in Cork, um, we have about twelve hundred members so employ, uh, to employ over a hundred thousand people across Cork City and County. So a reason, really, the reason why we undertook this study with the CIF, as you mentioned, is that increasingly our members' businesses in Cork are um, finding it difficult to to find uh, housing for for their staff members and, and 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 attract talent and keep talent in the region as well because there's an increasing demand for young workers to live in the apartment-type living. Mm. And and if we looked outside our offices, even in Cork, there is a number of cranes right outside our, our, our front door that are working on on exciting new projects, like new hotels, new office developments, and, and student accommodation. But despite there being significant demand for apartments, we haven't really seen any large apartment schemes uh, developed in Cork. So the purpose of this study was to find out why is that um, and, and what can be done about it. So we, together with the CIF, commissioned a EYDKM Economic Analysis to have a look at four real schemes in Cork that are could be built tomorrow if they were viable. And combined those four schemes, it would have over a 1,000 a apartment units, so quite significant schemes
4: in Great. Cork. Great, yeah.
1: yeah. So that so great, you, we we there was a possibility we'd have a thousand apartments, but then you discovered they're going to be out of the reach of most of the workers that you're aiming them for.
3: Yeah, so that was that's defining of the report, and um, so when we in, in quite a unique way we had four leading national builders um, open their books and break down the various different elements that make up the cost of an apartment, whether that's for for rent or for sale. And once you um, so you have the higher construction costs, they, they are what they are, um, and they make up about, you know, in and around 50%, up to 60, uh, 56% of, of the total sales price of an apartment. Then you add in your staff costs, and then also, importantly, you add in the amount that's taken by the state, which is about 30% of the total sales price. And once you add up those figures, what we found in our study is that the cheapest two-bed apartment that could be built in court in the suburbs it would be priced at three hundred and eighty nine thousand euros for sale, whereas a scheme in the Docklands, a two bed apartment in the Docklands in court would set you back four hundred and eighty six thousand euros. So quite uh, out of reach for the. How much would majority. you need?
1: How much would you need to be earning to get a mortgage
3: of that well, size? Really, you'd be talking a minimum 100,000 euros and twenty five <sighs> euros. And that's also assuming that you can get a deposit together of 39,000 euros up to 50,000 euros. And, so read, uh,
1: and therein lies another problem. If people are trying to save to get a deposit together and they're renting while they're trying to get the deposit together, if they end up in one of those apartments that somebody bought as a buy to rent, the rent would have to be very high for the landlord mm-hmm. to cover the cost of right. that mortgage.
3: And, and that's exactly it. So we looked at one build-to-rent scheme as well. And in that build-to-rent scheme, again, it, 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 there's been quite a lot of these activity in Dublin. So you have uh, big funds that come in, build significant and really attractive apartment blocks um, that people want to, to live in in the right areas. We haven't really seen that in court yet. So once we looked at at what rent would look like as well, once you add in all your all your soft costs, your higher construction costs, the levies, the tax, the that, etc., for a developer to build uh, an apartment scheme in Cork City Centre and be able to, uh, for that scheme to be viable, um, we're looking at rents at about €2,500 <sighs> a month for a two-bed apartment. Um, That's so crazy. It's, it's way beyond what the the average rent currently is in Cork, so it's about 1366 at the moment, and really only the top 5% earners in the country would be able to afford uh, to live in, in, in such a place.
1: So those prices, uh, Sarah, must be affecting economic growth, and growth in the city.
3: Well, that's the, that's the challenge, I suppose. So we have uh, about 10,000 jobs coming to Cork City in the next uh, five years. Cork as a, as a region is set for a really ambitious um, jobs growth uh, over the next 10 years. Population growth too. And of course, if we're going to see more people, more jobs coming to the region, we need to be able to offer them a choice of housing as well, whether that's in the city centre in an apartment that you own, or an apartment that you rent, or in a in a town or in in a rural area. Um, and and the problem right now is that there is a demand for city centre living that's not being met by um, the private sector at the moment because viability just simply isn't there. Um, they cannot build. At the prices that the local people can afford.
1: And, you know, it, it's widely accepted that uh, we are Ireland's fastest growing uh, city. How many housing units do you believe we need?
3: Um, so if we look at, at the jobs and population growth uh, in Cork, we need about 27,000 new housing units. That could be, you know, one off your traditional semi-D housing as well, but also apartments. So we, we need a mix of housing, but around... Uh, 27,000 new housing units by 2031. And there's
1: nothing even close to that being built?
3: Not at the moment. If we were to compete at the same level or as Dublin is doing at the moment, uh, and to meet those growth targets, we do need to double
1: our... What we're doing, what we're doing. Of I tell houses. you, when I was looking through your report and, and looking at the figures, what really, really floored me was this uh, 30% of the final price going to the state. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly that's high figure. I mean, surely we know, the government know, we have a housing uh, crisis. It surely is time for government intervention, at least on that aspect of it.
3: Yeah, we think so too. So in this report, we've set out 16 options that government could consider um, to change or, 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 or reform in order to bridge that viability gap so we can see apartments being constructed again. Like you say, thirty percent of the sales price at the moment is going to the state in some shape or form. Be that VAT, be that development levies, your connection charges, um, etc. Um, and if you strip back those costs, you know, all of a sudden you would you know, lower that that viability uh, gap quite quite significantly. But more importantly, the state has an interest in seeing construction happen. The state is massive shareholder, so the state benefits when we build housing. But 30% of nothing is, is nothing. Mm. So it's in the state's interest to see these teams going forward. Yeah. Um, and And even if it was to take a lower cost, it would still benefit um, in, in, in the short term.
1: Yeah, because certainly your, your figures in this study ties in with something I mentioned earlier when I knew you were coming on the, the programme. Uh, it's a different survey uh, showing that uh, renters countrywide found seven out of ten believe they'll never be able to afford to buy their own property. You know, we come from a nation of people who like to own our own houses. I mean, there's yeah. an entire generation growing up who already are starting to realise they'll never own their own, their own houses.
3: Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a certain amount of people that are quite happy to rent, and we need to make sure that that they have the opportunity to do so as well. But equally, we do need to make sure that the cost of housing, whether that's apartment housing or rental, does match the earnings of the people in, in the local economy. And for Ireland to stay com- competitive and continually attract people home or or attract new people to the country, and um, we need, we have to stay competitive in the area of housing. And like I said, the state has a has an interest in ensuring that we achieve that. They're a massive shareholder, and and really there are options here that we set for sixteen of them that they could look at to make sure that it becomes that more affordable for people to okay. to okay, well, or rent in Ireland.
1: Well done, well done. It's a, it's a great uh, study uh, from the Cork Chamber of Commerce along w- along with the Construction Federation. Just, you know, while I have you on as the Chamber of Commerce, I'm assuming you have great sympathy for the businesses at Douglas Village Shopping Centre and what's going on there?
3: Absolutely. I mean, a terrible, terrible fire. Uh, something you can't plan for and I think uh, it's obviously dev- devastating for the, for the businesses and, and absolutely the car owners as well and the people of Douglas. But, I feel like the last couple of days has also really shown what, what Cork is made of mm-hmm. and the sense of community as well and the immediate calls for people to come out and show support for for the traders in, in Douglas and, and, you know, bringing people to work with them, etc. cetera. So I think that's something that's
1: quite yeah, it's unique great.
3: about Cork and, and something worth uh, worth noting at this time as well.
1: And there's great acts of kindness as well, which, is, which is fantastic. All right, Shop Local, we're always banging on about it. Listen, Sarah, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You're welcome and thank good, you for the call. Good morning to you. That yeah. is Sarah Tat Foley, who is a Senior Public Affairs Executive with Cork Chamber of Commerce. 1850 333 103, lines open.
0: Get weekly news, event updates, and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click Regional Reports or download the C103 app and click Podcasts. Regional Reports, only on C103.
1: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Last week we spoke with Anya from Clonakilty, who was highlighting what she described as the high cost of public transport. She had spent the same amount on a return ticket from Clonakilty to Cork as a bus and a ferry trip from Cork to London. Local Fianna Fáil Councillor James O'Connor is also unhappy but this time it's the pricing of East Cork bus fares. And Councillor James O'Connor joins me. Good morning to you James. Good morning, Patricia. Now, James, you have compared the cost of some bus journeys out of out of East Cork. Talk to me about what you've discovered.
5: So, I've d- I've done some research during during the election campaign. Um, this issue really became um, fully fully visible to me that the fact that that a return bus ticket from all to Cork uh, on the Route 40 service costs an adult 19 euros to get a return ticket, and that's to travel a distance um, from from the to Cork. It's about 48 kilometres. It's not terrible; ter- ter- it's ter- 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 quite similar to um, to Mallow Mallow Down um, to Cork, and uh, you know the same actual the same bus bus going to Cork from Dungarvan, which is the next town down, and it's, it's actually 72 or 75 kilometres from Cork City actually costs nine fifty return for an adult. So it's 50% so on cheaper. On. So, travel. That's so you're, you're
1: travelling double, oh, well, nearly double the journey, and you're saying it's 50% cheaper than if you... So if you got on in in Dungarvan and went to Cork City, does that, that doesn't stop in Yall, does it?
5: Yeah, yes, so the Dungarvan, the Cork, the Cork to Waterford Road, uh, is there, is there, is there for listeners who would be unfamiliar with the area, it would be Dungarvan, Yall, Middleton... And you kill in cattle March between. So
1: them. I can get on in Dungarvan and pay for a ticket. You can get on in Yall and you will pay nearly double what I've paid and I've already been on the bus.
5: Yes. Oh. And actually, as a matter of fact, it
1: doesn't it's make any cheaper. sense.
5: It doesn't. And it, 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 it's still cheaper to travel from Dungarvan to Cork than it is from Middleton to Cork on a bus. And Middleton is, is, is about 15 minutes of a drive from Cork City. So. The situation all over County Cork. It's not just in my own area, whether it's Middleton, Cattle and Marker, or, or even above and for my and and, 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 um, and Mallow as well, where the prices are quite high. You know, it's, it's, it's countywide. We have to do something about it. I'm going to take this, I'm going to taking on the NTA about it, the National Transport Authority, because for, uh, for people who, who are unaware, the National Transport Authority are the agency that have control over what fares are charged, then when you leave the Cork commuter area, it actually goes into the to, to bus there and has have, have some right to decide prices. And that's their excuse as to why the bus from Dungarvan County Waterford on the same bus service took the bus station in Cork cost less money than that same journey from Yall, Killa, Castle Marcher, and Middleton. Going, I really do want to see it being lords uh, for commuters. Locally. OK,
1: the reason, I, I mean, I, I'm still trying to get my head around how you can, you can get on a bus further down the road and it's going to be cheaper than you hop, if you hop on in, in you But I'm wondering, is that to do with this public service obligation which where funding is provided for socially necessary public transport services?
5: Well, they're trying to use the the, the excuses that there's two different agencies responsible for setting the price of buses. But the All service is full. It is a fully occupied service um, in the mornings. It's very difficult to get a seat in it. What happens then is that subsequently, that the stops beyond All end up pay, or end up actually not being able to get a place on the bus. Um, so it's it's a fully utilised service, but it's, it's it's extremely expensive for the relative distance that has to be travelled. You know, a 40 minute trip, journey on a bus in Dublin. Or on the Lewis would would cost you what about four fifty return for the day day a day ticket, um, but for for the rural Cork, it, it seems to be astronomical.
1: That's a good. Uh, um, that's a, that's a yeah. That's a a good comparison. Um, yes. Do you believe more people would use the bus if the fares were cheaper?
5: Well, most most certainly. And Patricia, unfortunately, you know this is this is nearly an equality issue because. For pe- younger people particularly like i'm only 22 There's a lot of my friends are just finishing up you no know, college and they're finally earning their master's and they are put on the expensive paying for college a lot of people they're not in a position to afford to get accommodation in Cork City because it's very very expensive
1: mm, just, we've just been discussing know, it
5: and they want to live at home but their families for whatever for for cost saving reasons or maybe perhaps they just want to and the bus uh, and they might they might't have a car or have to afford insurance as well and they do, like, to, but they, they, they utilize the public transport services, but they're the ones that are having to pay the cost. Because at the minute, a week ticket from y'all to Cork, for an adult, is 68.40, and it's 52 for a student. Like, that's the price of a tank of diesel for, for, for a two-litre car. Like, there's no saving there. And from an environmental perspective, our bus services, they need to be very affordable. So money invested in public transport takes cars off the road, it reduces traffic, Places like Dunkettle and Castle Mark or in Middleton, where we have chronic problems that I've spoken to about before, and it's a win- Everybody is a winner because you reduce pollution in our villages as well.
1: Yeah, and we know yeah. um, in East Cork is an area that has a lot of heavy traffic congestion especially at rush hours. I mean, tied in, I think a lot of it is to do with it's a commuter belt. People can't afford, those that are working in the city can't afford to live there. We've just been talking about the lack of availability. And if they do build apartments, they're going to be, nobody's going to be able to afford them, certainly on middle income. So people have to live outside of the city. So more and more people will have to commute. Um, And we're just sticking them into cars. and, And then it's gridlock in the evening time.
5: Yes, and it's just it's unfair for everybody because you know I look I understand and I accept that there's a certain amount of people they do need to use the car because of poor public transport services, but there's actually a really good opportunity here to provide a top class service to car commuters because the road network it it, it can handle us it. It, it you know it's very direct it wouldn't be very inefficient if they had to do it and the, the towns are actually from from a planner's perspective it's a dream because you've multiple areas with high populations such as the island. And the villages of killing Castle Martin, and Middleton, that they want to utilise the bus services to get into Cork City, but they have to be provided with the service. And this is the main thing: is if you do not have an, un, if you don't have a reliable service, which we don't have at the minute, because the services are often full before they even arrive into County Cork, because of the cheap bus fares in County Waterford. Uh, people can't trust that service to get to college or get to work.
1: Deirdre in in Beira says to get out of Cork can be the most expensive part of my journey. And she cites the example, if I travel from Beira to Cork City on the bus, it'll cost me nearly 40 euro. Then I can get a flight to London for as little as 50 euro uh, if I book on time. Or I can get a bus to Dublin for a tenner. So, yes, bus air and buses in rural areas are the most expensive part of any journey. And Con in Mallow says, I travel on the bus every day. I can use my Leap card, but compared to my friends who live in the city, I feel I pay a lot more to travel from Mallow to Kanturk than those who are actually living in the city and can jump on a city bus instead. You've launched an online petition, James. Uh, what, what are you calling for and what reaction are you getting?
5: So I'm getting a very strong reaction, but in the first 12 hours, i I, I, I up to 300 supporters on it. So it's a, the, the name of the petition is Call on Bus Busnearing to review fares in East Cork. It's on change.org. It's also on my Facebook page. If people look up Councillor James O'Connor, you'll find it. And I'll tweet it to your page as well.
1: Please do. So, uh,
5: basically, what I'm hoping to achieve is that there's a fair review. So at the end of the year, we know that the National Transport Authority are going to be setting up a, a, a national fair determination report. And we have a window of time for your listeners who are listening now to address this issue in some capacity to seek reductions in the fares between here and the end of the year. And it's important that we can get as strong of a case as possible. So I'm going to be bringing this to the full council of Cork County Council. I'm hoping that I'm going to get up to about a thousand signatures on my my petition online. I need the public support to do this. So please support us. If you know somebody that's using the bus services, whether it's their kids or yourself, uh, please get out there and support us. And also what I'm going to do is I'm going to be getting on to some of our national representatives as well to see that this is happening. And what I'm also calling on, Patricia, and this is extremely important, is that there was 100 million euros allocated to for, for, for expenditure of public transport of, uh, of transport infrastructure in Cork this year under the Dun kettle scheme, mm-hmm. which was delayed for 12 months. And what I am saying is that some of that money should be ringed ring fence to be spent in Cork on upgrading our our bus capacity and bus services and making our services affordable so we can actually reduce congestion through that way as well. Because it's one year of a delay we're going to see that impact down the road and we're doing nothing to stop stop, stop it from happening and occurring. So we've seen no movement really on, 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 on infrastructure projects being built to actually upgrade the capacity of our roads. So what I'm saying is that it's something we can do and it's just much easier to do in the short run is to try and take cars off the road by properly investing in our bus network. And In rural areas, we need that because it's the only option in terms okay. of promoting public transport.
1: All right, keep us posted, uh, James. Uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is East Cork uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor James O'Connor.
0: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: A couple of people have been on to say, uh, did I know that the Bally de Habe, the world turn-up race... <laughs> Uh, in Valley de have that it's been featured on the Wall Street Journal of all papers and on the front page of the Wall Street uh, Journal, which is one of the world's biggest newspapers. And and it was, it seemingly, it was a travel writer by the name of Andrea Peterson. And Andrea Peterson was in the West Cork area, was staying in Ballydehob. She heard about this turnip racing and it is world turnip racing, probably because it's the only turnip race in the world. So she writes about it and it made the front page where she writes turnip in the headline, built for speed, roasts rivals. And uh, she writes all about the festival. And for those who don't know, the turnip, the world turnip race is featured every year in the Ballydehob Summer Festival. The Last number of years they've been doing it, and the Ballydehob Hob Summer Festival is held in mid-August every year. I'm, I'm nearly sure I have to check with John Paul that we shared a video of the Ballydehob Turnip Racing. I'm sure we shared it uh, during. Uh, during August. I'll, if we don't, I'll, I'll, I'll get it checked and see if we can put a video up because it's, <laughs> it's a great bit of fun. It's taken very seriously by the children and they're out with their turnips and they're racing the turnips down the street and it's a great bit of fun. And obviously, this young girl, Andrea, a young travel writer in the area took a look at it and thought it was great. And there it is on the front page of the Wall Street Journal uh, now it's on it's on the it must have been yesterday's Wall is that yesterday's Wall Street. I'm just trying to check the date uh on it. Um it's on it like the main story is Dorian Looms' threat to oh no, it might have been Friday as threat to US coastline after striking the Bahamas and it's all about the you know the fallout from from Hurricane Dorian. Dorian and it's also another front page story that UK Johnson's to call for election of law mayors buck his Brexit plan but there we go on the very front page and the headline is Turnip built for speed roasts rivals uh, onions are a disaster cheese is fast but smelly and Andrea Peterson then writes all about being to wonderful to have and uh, sharing the story of the turnip racing it's fantastic that has got to be a great boost for tourism in the West Cork area and particularly in Ballydehob. I mean, the Wall Street Journal has a daily circulation of 2.6 million people. I mean, that's just uh, incredible. And they also obviously have an online A lot of people now reading the papers uh, online, and they have uh, what they their subscription numbers online is one point five million. So it's like a lot of people uh, will have seen that article. So it's if you want to check it out on the Wall Street Journal. But well done to everybody involved. In the Bali De Summer Festival, they must be thrilled uh, to get that kind of uh, attention. And this, I don't know if somebody wants to tell me who won the World Turnup Race this year. I don't know if I have a name on who actually won the race, but it is great. And while we're handing out the accolades and saying well done, can I take time out to say well done to Longeville? Outside of Mallow, because the Great Taste Golden Fork for the best food or drink from Ireland was presented to Longeville House Beverages for its Longeville Moor cider. The grand finale of the Great Taste Golden Fork were held last Sunday in. I'm sure it was in London. Uh, They were they were held. There was twelve thousand seven hundred and seventy two products. From around the world were judged, and they're seen as the Oscars of food and drink basically. And Longaville House Beverages uh, in Mallow was put forward for the best food or drink from Ireland and they walked away with the top prize which is very, very impressive indeed. What did the the judges have to say? They say there was an amazing aroma of sweet apples on the nose, followed by a fresh and crisp taste with depth and clean finish. And uh, they were very impressed at every stage of the blind tasting judging uh, process and William O'Callaghan at Lavellongeville House Beverages accepted the prestigious award at the Gold, the Great Taste Golden Fork Dinner. Yeah, it was on Park Lane in uh, London. I thought I saw it um, over the weekend that it was in in London with thirty five invited guests from all over the world. I mean, it really was. Terrific and a great, great win. And um, I don't know if it was that particular side, but I know one of their ciders. we certainly tested it at one of our outside broadcasts when we were doing food tasting. We always do food tasting, don't we, at our outside broadcasts. And of course, we have another wonderful outside broadcast that we're looking forward to this Friday when we will be going to a taste of West Cork. They're kicking off on uh, Friday and we'll be at the heart of the action when we'll be broadcasting this show from 10 until 1 live from Fields Super Value in Skibbereen, and as always we'll be sampling some of the local produce and drink and finding out more about the festival and it is a festival that's a, about a lot more than food it's about everything that is great in West Cork so if you're out doing a spot of shopping in Skibbereen on Friday pop in and say hi. We certainly would love uh, to 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 see you and we're very much looking forward to it. Uh, 1850 333 Lorraine has emailed to say, Patricia, could you give a mention to this, please? I'm looking for a lift share. This kind of ties in with when we're talking about buses and transport and trying to get people from A to B. Lorraine is looking for a lift share. If anybody is passing through Bandon, at nine o'clock... Monday to Thursday heading to Dunmanway if possible she is willing to contribute to any fuel costs and her number is 085 703 7773 so somebody travelling from Bandon heading to Dunmanway Monday to Thursday the lift is required leaving Bandon at about 9 o'clock and anybody help us with that you can contact us here at the studio as well if you didn't catch that number 1850 333 I'm told on traffic and travel that services in and out of Houston station in Dublin currently are stopped now it's due to a signaling problem and uh, we will get uh, more updates as they come in but it's affecting trains from Cork and from Mallow so if you're planning a trip to Dublin in the coming hours I would hold off or maybe contact the train station before you go because you may be going nowhere at the moment, Okay, That's affecting trains out of Cork and out of Mallow with that problem at Houston Station. When we're talking about bus fares and the high cost of bus fares that we were talking about this morning, PJ Newmarket said that when he lived in Holland, travelling on the buses and trains. It was always very easy because in, to travel in Holland and very few people have cars in Holland. I mean, if, you're, if you've ever been to Amsterdam, they cycle a huge amount in Holland and failing that, they have trams, they have buses and they have trains. Everybody uses uh, public transport. And PJ says what they do in Holland is they make it very easy for people to use public transport. Where you're going on any journey, you could end up using a bus and a train or a bus and a tram or a tram and a train, so what they do is you get one ticket, and that one ticket will take you through all of the different travel modes until you get to your destination. you just you 're you're, you're ticked off on every mode of transport that you use it 's all integrated basically and it 's a bit like a, a leap card. so what happens then is you 're charged depending on how much you travel, not where you traveled, but just how much you travelled. And his point is uh, if you travel a mile in Dublin, it should cost the same as if you travel a mile in North Cork or in West Cork or in East Cork. He said at one stage the powers that be were talking about introducing a system where the motorist paid, where the more you travelled the more you paid. This was on road tax. Remember they were talking about abolishing road tax and they'd put it on petrol. There would be a levy put on petrol and on diesel and the idea being the more you more you were on the road, the more you would pay whereas if somebody was only doing you know very short commutes every day. They would pay less. That's if we put our road tax onto the price of petrol and diesel. And he said something similar should be done with public transport. The more you travel, the more you pay. So he reckons we need some kind of an integrated system that will go across all of our different transports. 1850 And on the high cost of housing... Listening to all this about the high cost of housing at the moment and people not being able to rent, uh, etc. I think a lot of this is down to society and how society has changed. It's now taken for granted that young people will move in together instead of staying at home and living a respectable life. <laughs> now, I don't know if you can blame the high cost of housing on that. I mean, yes, young couples move in together before they get married. I take it. That's what you mean rather than living a respectable life. Living in sin, it used to be called. Once upon a time, haven't heard that phrase used in, in many, many years. But young people, young couples, when they get together, and many do live together and set up their home. And many people might even buy their home in advance of getting married rather than spending a fortune on a big day and then going off and trying to get their houses together. Some people would say it's a sensible thing that young people do. But anyway, this listener feels that that's part of the problem at the moment, that young people are not living respectable lives and that instead they are moving in together. Eighteen fifty-three-three-three-one-zero-three lines open. C one-zero-three jobs. Sales assistant required for a busy pet uh, shop. It's part-time, one to two days per uh, week. Childminder wanted, three days per week. It's to mind two children, two and a half year old, and the little one is fourteen months, and it's in their own home in Drummaham. The Donkey Sanctuary in Nascar, they've got a vacancy for a farm supervisor, while the HSC is recruiting home care staff for Kinsale, Ballinspittle, Spittle, Riverstick, Halfway and Inishana. You'll find all the job details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103
0: presents the Sam Maguire Sevens Family Event on Saturday, September 7th. GAA greats and competitors from all over Ireland are heading to the Sam Maguire Sevens in Dunmanway, a town steeped in GAA history. Enjoy ladies and men's competitions, long puck, family entertainment for the whole family and hourly buses to Vallabraca to visit the home of Sam Maguire himself. Be at the Sam Maguire 7th, Saturday, September 7th, for a truly memorable day for GAA fans with C103.
1: Now World Suicide Prevention Day is observed on September the 10th every year to promote worldwide action to prevent suicides and this year's theme is all about working together. Joining me to discuss the work of the Charitable Suicide Awareness Project is Margaret O'Callaghan but also in studio, studio is teenager Leah Corkery from Drummohan who joins us this morning to talk about how a suicide affected her uh, family. Uh, good morning to you ladies and, and you're both very welcome. Uh, Margaret I'll talk with you in, the min- in a minute. I just want to talk with Aaliyah first. Uh, good morning to you Hello. Uh, and you're welcome. You lost your wonderful uncle in September of 2010. Yeah. Firstly, tell me about your uncle and your memories of him.
6: Um, I just remembered him as being such a happy and outgoing person and like I wouldn't have thought there was anything going through his head like bad thoughts like because he was such a good person and everything he'd done it was just looking out for everybody.
1: And you were what? You were what age? Only Ten, yeah. 10 When it happened, and how did you find out that he had died?
6: Um, I'd heard um, my mom getting a phone call in the middle of the night, and I didn't think it was true until like they told me. But it was kind of hard listening to it.
1: I can you vividly remember that?
6: Yeah, I thought it was. It was a nightmare, being honest, but. It wasn't.
1: <laughs> you were hoping that you, you would just wake up. Yeah. And at, at 10, 10 at such a young age, did you understand suicide at no, the time? No,
6: I didn't understand it at all. Like, I didn't understand how he took his own life. Like, I thought maybe that it was something else, but it wasn't.
1: And how, how has it affected you since? And, and, and firstly, you, I'll, I'll talk about your other family members, but you personally, how has it affected you?
6: Like, I had a really good connection with my uncle when I was younger. Like, he used to do a lot of things for me, and, you know, not being able to hear his voice anymore was kind of very hard. Like, it did he- it did affect me mentally, but, you know, I got through it with all the help of my family and all the, he- the support that's out there.
1: And do you talk about him a lot?
6: A lot, yeah. I go around talking to schools and talking at Suicide Awareness Day's just telling people
1: my story. Yeah. And of course, he was your father's brother. Little brother. Younger yeah, brother. brother yeah. yeah. Was that hard? Has it, has it been hard in your dad?
6: Yeah, it did affect my dad a lot. And like my dad did go to counselling, and so did my nana and granddad. It affected my family a lot. Like my nana stopped working, and you know, she couldn't like t- she didn't think it was real like none of us thought it was real for a long time
1: yeah does it get easier with time no no no,
6: no it's never going to change like it's always going to be there like and you know I don't think it gets easier people say it does get easier but it doesn't
1: and y- your wish would be if you could t- if you or other family members could turn the clock back to talk to him is yeah, to talk
6: to him and for him to reach out to us and yeah. f- like that we were there for him and that he didn't have anything to hide.
1: And as with all families, uh, Leah have have you all soul searched? Uh, I suppose the older family members that wh- why didn't we see something? Why didn't we notice something? Is has has that gone on in in your family?
6: Yeah, that was the hardest thing because none of us realised what he was actually going through. We all thought he was happy person, but behind closed doors, he was somebody that we didn't know at
1: all. And your message to people is what? Open up, talk.
6: Yeah, reach out, like where everybody's there for you, like there's nothing to hide. Like it's a normal thing nowadays to have mental health problems. And, you know, everybody's there for you and you're never actually alone.
1: And when you say you've, you've spoken and I know you've spoken at some public events and, and you've spoken in, in schools has anybody come up and approached you and, and spoke to you about their own concerns? Or?
6: Yeah people have told me their own stories they've taught me like how they've lost family members and all that but you know, I just te- like, they tell me that my story is very strong and powerful and that I should talk to other, more people about it yeah. that it needs to be told more
1: um, uh, 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 thank you for that, Leah. Uh, stay with us because I've, we've got uh, Margaret O'Callaghan, who will be well known, certainly in the North Cork area, for her uh, amazing work with the Child of a Suicide Awareness Project. Good morning, to you, Margaret. Good morning. Um, you're very welcome. Um, Leah is is brave, isn't she? To it's it's not an easy topic for her, for someone so young to to talk about. No, but thanks
4: be to God, tis a young one that's talking about it. You know, it, it takes guts for her now to come on the air and talk about her uncle but fair play to her and I hope she keeps going talking about it
1: because that's what we need to do isn't it We need keep to, talking we, we, and I know when, I'm, when I mentioned you were coming in I was looking at the, the the suicide rates they fall into their lowest levels but they're still they're still way too high at uh, 352 uh, suicides last year but when you dig down into those figures Margaret men continue to account for 80 Percent of all suicides, and that's in line with global trends in that forty five to fifty four year old age group, probably around the age that leah's uncle it's that age group of men isn't it that we need to to get the message out to, that it's okay to be okay not to be okay it's okay, yes, and but not that age group
4: because there's younger younger people there was a few in the last couple of weeks young people, lovely young people. And they should reach out and talk to somebody, not keep it all in their heads. That's not what is. You have to talk to people. And the more you talk, the more help mm. you get. But keeping it in your head, you're only just
1: suffering. And remind us, Margaret, how your life was touched by suicide. I buried my son, Frankie, 23 years ago
4: now. And you said there a while ago, does it get easy? No, it gets very hard. Days, it's very hard some days, and I buried a brother.
1: After Frankie.
4: Before Frankie. Before Frankie.
1: And 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 was your was your son was Frankie affected by his uncle's? Because that would have been his uncle's death. It would have been. I suppose
4: so, but as Leah said, there, her uncle was quite. Frankie was a very quiet boy as well. He worked so hard. He was an apprentice welder, and he was a lovely, lovely boy. He used to go to work every morning, come home in the evening. You'd We never saw anything strange about Frankie.
1: He, and what age was he? 22. Goodness me, so he'd only be, he'd be, be, be mid-40s 45 now. now. 45. Yeah. And with each birthday, you think of what he'd be doing now and where he'd be? Every birthday, every Christmas,
4: I go to his grave every day, but I put special things in his birthday and Christmas, and that's going on for 23 years. And it doesn't get easy. It gets hard. But you I just talk learned to, to live people with it. Yes. Yeah. And do what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing you have done. You've dedicated your life since. And that's, that's in memory of Frankie and because of Frankie. Of Frankie,
4: my brother and everyone else that died of suicide.
1: I think um,
4: you have to remember the people that have passed by suicide. Because you do remember the people that died of car crashes, cancer. And this is our way of remembering the people that died of suicide. And just leaving off our balloons and doves and setting trees of hope and benches. That's our way. And only for the town of Charifle and the surrounding areas, I wouldn't be able to do that. The people in Charifle.
1: Yeah. Tell me about the I, I, I love this campaign that you're doing, the trees and, and the benches. You've what, just explain the idea behind
4: that. Well, there's a lady in Dublin she sends me on little stickers uh, to go on the ground uh, plaques for the Tree of Hope. We have 15 trees now and we have 10 benches all over from Feathermore to Kilburn Churchtown everywhere. Mallow, Buttevant, Ballyhay uh, Fremont are getting one. Kentork is getting one on Saturday in the town park in Kentork And how are you funding it? We do a street collection. Okay. And out of that street collection, we like to show what we're doing with our money. Yeah. To the people that help us with the fundraising and the collection. And the Fire Brigade of will give us a car wash this year. So out of that, we've got more trees and more benches.
1: And the tree is the symbol of hope, is to remember the... The person, the pe- the to people, remember all of yes. the people that we've lost. And then the benches, the idea with the benches is
4: to... The bench is to sit, if you're sitting there, and if you feel a bit down, there's a phone number of Peter House and Samaritans on it. Okay. And all that. Ring, just ring. Yeah. Or talk to someone. If if you see somebody on a, in the, on the bench sitting, go and ask them where they are right.
1: Yeah. Don't be alone. And tell me about these, uh, you, you've, we've brought in, in some of them and, and, they're, and they're gorgeous. These, they're mag- they, these are fridge magnets, aren't they? That's right. Uh, Charleville have. Suicide Awareness Project, Ask, Listen, Tell, and you've got the number of Pieta House in Limerick and the Samaritans. Yes. And we're
4: giving out them on Tuesday night to everybody so they can put them up in their fridges. And we also have a little little, uh,
1: well, it's like, a little, I would call it, it's a little key ring. A key ring cushion. cushion.
4: Yeah. For the teenagers to put on their handbags or their school bags. Yeah,
1: which a lot of young people do today, yeah. And if they feel a bit down, all they have to do is pick the up numbers the numbers on it as well. Yeah. And of course, what I like about this, particularly <coughs> with the fridge magnets, is, you know, take one home, put it up in your fridge. You may never need it, but somebody in your household. Yes. That is, you say, you didn't see it in Frankie. Leah didn't see it in her uncle. You just don't know what's going on in in someone else's life. No, and we have a counsellor now in Charfield,
4: Mary Lynch. She's a lovely lady, and with the help of Leah's father and grandmother, we can fund people people looking for help. Okay. With this lady, she's a because no
1: that's the problem, isn't it? When somebody goes forward for help, there are not always enough counsellors available. There's none, There's none, unless you
4: unless you pay. This lady is very good, she's doing it not for full price, she's, yeah. she's doing it to help people. Great. So, you know, if you go to a counsellor now today, it is a lot more than what she's...
1: Okay, and how,
4: how do people access her? Her phone number, she has a little card there with her phone numbers on it. This is
1: Mary Lynch is it? That's right. Okay and we, we have Mary's number here and she works uh, she runs a counselling service uh, in Charleville and the 10th of September is World Suicide Prevention Day which is next Tuesday. Um, what are you doing Margaret for this year?
4: We're leaving off for 200 white balloons or 5 white doves uh, we start off at half of Six we with a walk around the park, start at the Tree of Hope, continue to the Tree of Hope, then go down to the plaza. We're leaving off 200 white balloons, never forgotten, wrote in them. We have five white doves, a bit of music, a bit of food, and we have Leah. She'll be doing her story as well, and we have Pat Dillon and another few. Mary Lynch will be telling people what she's her services are for. And it's in a happy occasion, it's in a sad occasion it's just to just remember all.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and Leah, it's the it's around the anniversary, isn't it?
6: Yeah, the 10th of September is, is my uncle's his anniversary.
1: anniversary. Yeah. yeah. My god, he died on World Suicide, Suicide Day. Prevention uh, Day. And and as a family, Leah, do you talk a lot about your uncle? Do you, do you? Yeah,
6: on his anniversary, my nana and granddad planted an oak tree <gasps> out the back of our out the back of their house because his favorite song was tie a yellow ribbon round the, the old oak tree. tree. Uh, yeah, so every um, 10th of September, we go to the oak tree and tie a yellow ah, ribbon. Isn't, the isn't oak that
1: tree. sweet? Isn't that yeah. sweet? So, yeah, so, so he will always be remembered. Always. He will, yeah, all, he always. will always be uh, remembered. Uh, you are fantastic. And um, some listeners may remember Leah joined us in the studio before. I've spoken with Leah and your dad uh, before because you went to the Nile Mellon Trust in um, South Africa. Yeah. That's had a lasting impression on you, hasn't it?
6: Yeah, I love it. It's one. It's one thing I look forward to in the year is going out to Africa helping people. So, how many times have you been? Um, this will be my third. Is year. your third? Yeah. Well,
1: Okay, you're going in. It's that's a winter project, isn't it? They go because of the heat over
6: there. Yeah, it's November. We're going on the sixteenth of November this year.
1: <laughs> and are you seeing a change over there,
6: big time? Yeah, just like going in and seeing the children and seeing how happy they are and just even us being inside the school is boosting their mental health and it's just it's such a good thing it's like it makes me feel so happy as well
1: and how many go on roughly
6: um, there could be 200 of us it depends on the year like in 2008 there was 2008 people oh. so it just varies ok alright yeah. and then they, they
1: hit the, and the they they, I know the girls do as much work as the guys but the guys just really hit the ground running and they do building projects isn't it
6: yeah everything is straight you're out there on Sunday and you're off the plane and you're drop your bags in the hotel and it's just down to work. Yeah, there is no resting. Yeah, it isn't a holiday. No.
1: (laughs) And you have to fundraise all year for that then, is it? Yeah, um,
6: €4,000 and if it's your first or second year, it's four and a half thousand.
1: Okay. All right. But it's all it's money well spent.
6: It is money well spent. And I was elected the youth liaison for the charity, so I help all the youth out there. And, you know, it's a good thing and it's a good feeling having to help everybody.
1: You're a fantastic role model. I'll, I'll tell you that. And you did your leaving cert. Yeah. And you did well. Yeah, very. <laughs> and you're you're what you're on to. What, you, what are you doing now? I'm going so uh, studying social studies. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, with the long term goal of doing what? Just helping people just Yeah, that' help margaret i wouldn 't surprise you would it <laughs> no she 's a great heart she 's yeah. a great heart, and uh, your uncle will be very proud of you. I know it was devastating uh, what has happened, but you you seem to be managing to turn it well it is a very sad, sad story into something very positive, as indeed margaret you 've done i mean, I know your heart is broken, and it 'll never recover from it, but what, what, what you do is you turn that awful, dark period in your life into something positive and you 're helping others and you you're, you're, you're both fantastic so well done yes, well done you you. Uh, Margaret O'Callaghan always a pleasure to have you in studio and Leah Corkery we're getting to know you better uh, <laughs> great to have you in studio good luck with your trip to thank South you. Africa those kids are lucky to have you uh, and thank you for joining us 1850 333 103
0: Nick Richards weekday afternoons from 1 C103 I'm
1: in Cove today for the People's Regatta
0: Sean you are at Keith's Cones. is that right? I am at. what's the most unusual ice cream
5: anyone's ever asked you for? I had a woman come up to me before and she asked for a cone with sprinkles on it so I threw the old ice cream on you know and I was about to put the sprinkles on and she was like no I don't want the ice cream she just wanted a cone with sprinkles inside it. I didn't charge her but uh, the boss is a bit mean so he, he wanted me to charge her you know, but I couldn't charge she was a mother.
0: <laughs> Monday to Friday from 1pm C103.
1: Uh, and by the way, I meant to do it at the end of our, our piece for Suicide Awareness uh, Prevention Day. Just to give you the numbers for Pieta House if you're infected in any way by our chat with Margaret or Leah. You can call Pieta House on 1800 247 247. That's Pieta House 1800 247 247. And of course, the Samaritans are always available on 116 123 116 12 three. Now today on our Awalia series, which offers free mortgage arrears support, we look at debt relief notices. And joining me with the details is Neve Buckley, who is with Mabs Awalia in Charnival. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning Patricia. And How are you? I, I'm very well and, and you're welcome. I suppose let's start at the beginning. What is a debt relief notice?
7: Well, a debt relief notice is one of the three insolvency options that were introduced in 2012 under the personal insolvency legislation. So all the options have various criteria, but for the debt relief notice, or we call it the DRNs, it would be for people who have uh, low income, little or no assets, and owe less than €35,000 in qualifying debt.
1: So what are the main features to a debt relief notice? Yeah, the main features
7: then are it's a formal agreement. It's actually court approved. So there's a three-year supervision period. So on the first day you're approved, you automatically get a 50% write-down on your debt. So for example, if you owe €30,000, your debt reduces to 15000 straight away on the first day, and there's no interest accruing on that either. So then during the three-year supervision period, if your circumstances remain unchanged, you make no payments to your debt, and at the end of the period, your debt is written off in full.
1: Well, that's a huge relief to somebody is. who's lying awake at night, uh, yeah. with weighed down with the burden of a debt. How does somebody, what's the eligibility criteria then for, for, for people?
7: So the eligibility criteria, well, firstly, there's a the means test. So it's not like you to be under a certain amount on income. The means test is applied to each individual's circumstances. So if you've got a larger family, you're given a bigger allowance or you might have expenses such as childcare or medical expenses and they're um, given an allowance as well. So um, that's the first thing. Then the assets. um, You have to have little or no assets now so you can't have any properties or you can't have a name on your mortgage. But you are allowed a car up to the value of €5,000. And then as I mentioned earlier, you have to owe less than €35,000 in qualifying debts. And the qualifying debts would be credit cards, credit union, bank loans, rent arrears, the usual deaths that people would occur.
1: How does somebody apply for a a death relief notice?
7: So it has to be applied through an approved intermediary. And in MABs, we have a number of staff who are licensed by the Insolvency Service of Ireland to process the applications. So really, the first point of contact would be if you contact MABs, We look to see if you are suitable to look at the debt relief notice because there may be other options that would be more suitable for you. And if you are, then you're referred on to the approved intermediary and we'll take it from there. But it only takes three meetings.
1: But you did mention that it is uh, court ordered. Um, That can frighten people, the very idea of going into court.
7: It can, and what we always reiterate to people who are applying for this, just because it is court-ordered, you don't actually have to go to court. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, that's a big plus as well, because people are very intimidated by the thoughts and prospects of going to court, so it's actually, um, the, we're the go-between, we'll say the approved intermediary, we're the go-between between you and the insolvency service, and when we're all happy that, the, um, that you're eligible, then the insolvency service will submit the application to court. Does the whole
1: process take long?
7: Um, roughly on average it's about three months okay. because for the, the first appointment we'll just give you all the information on it and after that you'll have a very good idea if you're eligible or not and then we'll give you a list of things that we require at the first appointment as well so there'll be, you know, um, proof of your ID um, the various debts that you have we'll want copies of the statements and then there's a form to fill up as well so we'll get that back then for the second appointment and go through all that and then, if we're we're happy that you're eligible at that point, we'll put in for your third appointment. And then, as I said earlier, the ISI will go through it after we submit it, and then put that into court. So, approximately about three months.
1: Uh, is there a cost involved in the application process?
7: No, and um, the approved intermediary can't charge. And MABS is a free service anyway, so um, the ISI also have waived their fees so the only fee that a person would incur is on the day that we're submitting the application we would um, have a prescribed we would prepare a prescribed financial statement for you and you'd have to get that sworn it's like swearing an affidavit and that costs up to 14 euro at max but that's all but that's all all right
1: all right now if and, and you say that it lasts for once the death relief notice is put in place, that, what you call a supervision period, lasts for three years, is it? That's right. Now, during that three years, I win the lotto. What happens? <laughs>
7: well, if you win the lotto, so for example, you win a lump sum of €50,000. Yeah. You would be required to give over half of it. But bearing in mind, if I use, you know, the earlier example I used that you started out owing thirty thousand and that was written down to fifteen thousand. Well then if you won the lotto and won fifty thousand, you wouldn't be submitting half, it you'd be only submitting up to what you owe and in that case oh, okay. fifteen thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And then the debt relief note so just let's say you won it in year two, then that finishes the debt relief notice you, you end it prematurely.
1: Yeah, or it could be an inheritance, couldn't it, as well? It doesn't necessarily mean yeah. a win of money, it could be an inheritance. That's
7: That's exactly it. Yeah, actually, if you get a gift, even if somebody wants to gift you um, some money and it's over €500, you'd have to actually declare that to the Insolvency Service and surrender half it.
1: Okay. and during that three years, are you in contact with the Insolvency Service or do they just leave you off to do your own thing?
7: Well, during the three years, you actually have a legal obligation to notify the Insolvency Service if your circumstances change. So um, we say once the debt relief notice has been approved, um, our job in MABS, the Approved Intermediaries, we, we're we done and dusted, so we step back all the is between the person and the insolvency service. The insolvency service might write reminding you of your obligations and then, as I said, you would be obligated to contact them and let them know if your circumstances did improve.
1: Yeah, because your circumstances could also improve if, if you got a better job and were earning more money or you got promotion at work.
7: That's exactly it. So there is something in the legislation that actually deals with that. So, for example, year one and year two you don't change, everything is the same but let's say at the beginning of year 3 your job improves or you get a better job or you were on social welfare and you get a job and if your income goes up by more than €400 from what you started out with well then for the remainder of year 3 you would be expected to to surrender half the difference
1: Okay, but then the 3 years supervision period is over and then that's the debt gone and you can start afresh
7: That's exactly it. A fresh start is the whole um, priority for it.
1: Does it affect your credit rating?
7: Well, at the start of it, you're going to have um, a bad credit rating anyway because you're going to have the debts. uh, During the three years and at the end of the three years, you're going to return to solvency. So at the start of it, you're going to be insolvent. So it's, it's unlikely that you'll get um, another loan at that point. At the end of it, you're returned to solvency. So we would hope that the lenders would take the spirit of the legislation, that you are given a fresh start and look at it, that you have no other debt at that stage. However, you know, we would have no say over that or couldn't
1: guarantee that. OK. And can you apply for debt relief notice more than once? No, no, you can only get one in your lifetime. And that's fair enough. That, that is fair enough. Yes. All right. Okay, uh, Neve. Thank you for that, and uh, thank th- uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, good morning, to you That is Neve Buckley of the Mabs Awalia service in uh, Charleville. If debt relief notice is something that you think is applicable to you, or you're looking for any information, if you're struggling paying back a mortgage, please don't ignore it. Help is available, and it's a free service. That is what is so important about Awalia. Uh, it is a free mortgage arrears support service. Uh, you can contact MABS um, and the Awalia service on 761 07200.
0: 076107200. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: And I see some other papers are picking up on a story actually that I saw first in the Irish Times yesterday written by a journalist by the name of Sarah Slater and Sarah was writing uh, is writing about uh, an elderly Irish man who sadly passed away alone in a North London nursing home. He was a gentleman by the name of Joseph Toohy. He was originally from Tipperary. Now he's one of these God and so many more like him. One of these men who spent most of his childhood being raised in the religious run uh, orphanages and then he emigrated uh, to London in his late teens never to return to uh, Ireland he had been taken away from his single mother uh, when he was a a child and the plan now is because he died alone, doesn't have any family obviously in England and the plan now is to bring his remains, his cremated remains back to Ireland. There's uh, initially going to be a ceremony in Dublin and I think the plan is that they're going to bring his ashes then down to Tipperary but a call has gone out for people to attend this mass that they're going to hold in Dublin for him and a call has gone out for people to come and say a last goodbye and they're hoping that it won't fall on deaf ears. It is a former Columban priest who befriended Mr Toohey, a gentleman by the name of Brian Bolan and he's befriended him for more than 40 years he said he described him as being one of the finest human beings I ever met he was full of compassion and Brian Bolan now is lives in London, he runs the St. Gabriel's Homeless Centre and obviously that's where he came in contact uh, with Joseph Toohey and he said that he died in a nursing home in uh, Islington but he bore the scars of an upbringing in Ireland during the 1930 that was very different to what it is today and it seems Joseph Toohy's mother became pregnant when she was working in New York and this would have been obviously in the early 30s she was alone and abandoned but she did manage to return to Ireland Now, according to Joseph, he had a very special bond with his mother and a bond that he's never, ever forgotten, even though he never got to see her again. She was, she'd looked after him. She was a loving mother and she was working on various farms, cooking and providing for her young son. But Ireland of the time uh, was not a place to be an unmarried mother in the early 1930s. And the various authorities were just waiting for this young mother to slip up so that they could take Joseph and put him into care. And unfortunately, there was an accident. At the farmer's house where his mother was working, Joe was just a five-year-old little boy and he was playing in front of the fire and he slipped and he burned his leg. And as a result of that, Joe was taken away from his mother. Isn't that just so cruel? And he was put into care. Uh, so he was in care. I don't know where he was when he was younger, but uh, at the age of 14, he trained as a tailor in St. Joseph's Industrial School in uh, Clonmel. He was only one of two boys to pass the then primary cert. So he was a bright, bright young boy and a lay teacher at the time actually tried to get him to sit the post office exams. But the Rosminian brothers who ran St. Joseph's and Carmel wouldn't uh, allow it. And uh, according to Brian Bolan, Joe was one of the brightest people I know. Even as he became more confused with age, he was still able to beat the contestants on the television programme uh, countdown. He said he'd visited Mr. Toohey several times a week uh, before he died and he told him he wanted his ashes to be put in a black bin bag and buried in the garden. But he said we can't let that happen. And following his death, there was no prayers, there was no holy water sprinkled on uh, his body and nobody sent a mass card and he said this man is symbolic of a hidden suffering and we should not forget our people he said we come from a great people who are loyal to one another they deserve our respect he said I know Joe would take solace from the fact that his life story which was so full of pain may help others uh, on their own and encourage them to seek uh, help and uh, he's, he's thanked some people then who is helping him to arrange the returning of the ashes and the plan is a funeral mass is going to be held at the end of Semte- september in uh, in a church in county dublin and then the remains the ashes then are going to be brought to Tipperary. I don't know what the plans are when they get to Tipperary but what a sad, sad story. But it would be lovely if, as that call has gone out for people to give a last goodbye and I'm sure big numbers will will turn out because I think we're great about that. We're great about recognising one of our own. But what What a different life that man would have had if the nosy Parkers and the the so-called bastions of the community at the time thought they knew what was right for him. It wasn't to stay with This young mother who was, you know, a single mother at the time, an unmarried mother, as she would have been known as people would have been frowning on her. And she was, you know, going from farmyard to farmyard, working in order to provide for her son. And just because there was uh, a bit of an accident where he he fell and burnt uh, his leg, that little child was taken from him. My goodness, it was a very, very different era. But let's not forget and let's remember uh, Joseph Toohey. Uh, may he rest in peace. 1850-333-103 Some of your texts coming in in the middle of Peter's questions. Thank you for Peter's questions. Sandy has been on to say heard your guest that was from Cork Chamber of Commerce speak about the government and the final price the amount they take on the final price of a, of a house or an apartment, 30%. The government, don't forget, says Sandy, also imposed 23% VAT on all building materials used. It's the same as cigarettes, chocolate and fizzy drinks. All those sales taxed and VAT on sales, they all mount up. And Sandy also commenting on the cost of buses. And public buses. The only way to get bus costs under control is to appoint a Michael O'Leary type or some Ryanair trained financial controller to head up the National Roads Authority and CIE. Similar to what when AIG took over Aer Lingus the fares have been increasing and business was going elsewhere. Now we've got low fares with uh, Aer Lingus and it's profitable, says Sandy. Indeed it is and, and Ryanair itself has got a lot uh, to do with that and we can be thankful to the likes of Ryanair and the other low budget airlines which has forced down the cost of of flying. I mean there was a time, I mean I remember back in the 80s getting a flight to London and a flight to London would be more was more expensive in the 80s than what you would spend on a flight to London today and I know that stretch of water between Ireland and England has always been known as the most expensive uh, in the world but thanks to the likes of uh, Ryanair, prices certainly have uh, come down and long may that uh, continue. Now would you please say, this is the girls in Mallow, would you please say thank you to the staff in the charter? hotel and the manager there. They were so good to us the weekend the Bagatelle were playing. The food was only fantastic and they gave us plenty to eat. It's a credit to them. We'll be back again next month and we can't wait. <laughs> and that comes in from the girls in Mallow. So, everybody in Charleville Hotel, take a bow, uh, please. Hi, Patricia. There is a need to find a solution for Ireland to try and improve its impact on climate change. The discussion on your show this morning is interesting. It's highlighting the incredible expense of public transport. If the cost could be drastically reduced, during the hours say when workers travel to and from work in the early mornings and in the evenings that certainly would help to alleviate congestion on, on on our roads and obviously would reduce pollution it may be a great incentive to leave the car at home yeah and that's one of the main reasons whenever we do interviews about the price of public transport that always comes up it's you know it almost the cost of it at acts as a disincentive to people to jump on the bus or to take the train we have to make things as cost effective as possible I think for people to get out of their cars and get them into and onto public transport and just one final text here, here's a mom looking for advice please Hi Patricia My son has started first year and is due to get a vaccination, the HPV vaccination. It's the first year that they're giving the HPV vaccination to boys. I am unsure about giving it to him. Has anybody else got thoughts on this? Okay, what I would say to you is research it firstly if you're in any way having doubts. Personally, if it was me, I would be signing on the dotted line and giving the HPV vaccine vaccination to both to boys and girls. It is a vaccination that is saving lives and will save lives. What I would say to you is if you're anyway nervous about it, and obviously whenever there's vaccinations, there's people get a bit nervous about it, do your research. But be careful where you do your research, particularly when it comes to the HPV vaccination. There are some incredible sites making up all kinds of spurious and giving spurious advice when it comes to the HPV. So I would say go to the right places. Go to go to the right I mean, for example, the the HSE themselves, they offer advice on the HPV vaccine, which can prevent seven out of ten cervical cancers. One that I saw that I found particularly good because I remember having a friend of mine whose daughter was due to get it and she was a bit nervous about it. And we went online together and we were sort of trolling through I was trying to show where to go to get you know correct information that's what you need to do you need to arm yourself with correct information and the Irish Cancer Society do a cancer information fact sheet on the HPV vaccine and they go through so many of the different questions that I imagine you have and that I imagine other mothers would have and obviously they've updated it because they've got boys uh, on this uh, on this fact sheet uh, as well and they talk about it and then they give you you know extra extra places where you can go if you're still not happy and you want uh, more advice but the H, the HSE if you go to hse.ie they also have an awful lot of advice on HPV it is the HPV the Human Pap Papilloma virus. It is a very common inve- infection of the uh, cervix and is the most common cause of uh, cervical cancer. And too many women have died from cervical cancer. If we get this, we keep up with our screening program, even with everything that's gone wrong with cervical check, but don't let that turn you off. Going for screening between that and the HPV vaccination program we could eradicate uh, cervical cancer in this country which would be terrific 185333103 get your gardening questions in please for Peter, text or WhatsApp 0862 103
0: 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie
1: Seven Cork artists are hosting a showcase of their work through different mediums and different subjects. It's at CIT Cork School of Music It runs from today and it will be there for one month Clonicilte Camera Club, they're hosting an open night at O'Donovan's Hotel. That's on tonight for anyone who wishes to join the club. All levels of photography are welcome. Annam Cara, the organisation which offers information and support to all bereaved parents. They are meeting at twenty past seven this evening in the Clayton Hotel in Cork City. It's an option for all bereaved parents, regardless of the age of the child are the circumstances of their death uh, to please come along. You can visit their website annamcara.ie Ballonhassee Community Development will host a fundraising social dance in the Marion Hall on Friday night. Dancing is to Michael Sexton from 9.45 and teas will be served. And Carriganima Run or Walk is on this Saturday. They start at half past three. Registration is open from two. Music and raffle on that night in the pub in Carriganima, with all proceeds going to Mill Street and McCroom Hospitals. And Eileen says Oh my God Patricia tears on my eyes listening to Joe's story. This is uh, the elderly gentleman who died alone in uh, a nursing home. Such as Sam story. Well done to that former priest who's doing the rallying call to make sure that on his last journey that the people will turn out for his final Mass. I will light a candle for him. May Joe's gentle soul rest in peace, says, says Eileen. Yeah, I have to say as a story, it got to me as well, the fact that he'd been taken from his young mother, who obviously was just a young woman at the time when she became pregnant. And the fact that he'd never forgotten her, he never forgot, but then he left Never came back, and oh, you'd wonder what happened to her as well, wouldn't you? So uh, remember her as well, Eileen, uh, in your prayers. Thank you, uh, though, for your text eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. When we were talking about cheap flights, and I was saying well done to Ryanair, who were one of the first to reduce the to, uh, brought cheap flights uh, to all of us. Michael says, Patricia, never forget the man who began the cheap flights in the UK that was uh, Freddie Laker until Margaret Thatcher's government uh, closed him down and Michael also just on the whole Brexit scenario says Patricia never in living memory has there been such high political drama in the House of Commons with everyone being blamed but themselves Prime Minister Johnson and his full bag of tricks right wing junker party fell on their face yesterday evening when 21 of their MPs rebelled the upshot being all were then expelled Sad night in British politics when you see Ken Clark, the grandfather of the House, expelled together with Nicholas Soames, grandson of Britain's World War II leader Winston Churchill and Philip Han- Hammond. This, that's it now for the DUP. Expect them to be hung out to dry because you will have a technical... <laughs> Border down the Irish Sea on a much brighter note. Did anyone ever see such a relaxed smile of happiness on Theresa May's face as she left Parliament last night? Thanking you. uh, I did, actually. I did. I I did. And that other Aegis, Rhys Moggs, did you see him the way he was stretched out? He looked like he was sort of stretched out on the couch. Watching his favorite football team play, bizarre. It was just bizarre what was coming. Uh you are. But you are. You are right. It was high political drama that at times bordered on the bazaar. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now the operation to remove cars from the fire-damaged car park at Douglas Village Shopping Centre is continuing today. It's expected to take up to seven days after which the damaged section of the building will be uh, demolished. Now uh, Maeve O'Connell's car is on the first floor and uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, went down to have a chat with Maeve. You today. So Maeve,
8: just tell me a little bit about what happened. Your car is in there, is it? Yeah, it is. It's on the first floor, unfortunately, but um, down the other end, so fingers crossed it'll be okay. Have you heard
7: anything about your car? Have you been able to get any information?
8: Uh, no, we were. We gave our details, like my phone number and rage and things, to just somebody that was working here, and they said that they contact us when it was ready to be collected or when they knew more, but we haven't heard anything yet, so... Um, I'm just down here, like, watching, hoping that it'll come out soon, but I don't know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Has it sunk in what's happened and how lucky you were that you weren't in the car? Uh, not really. Like, I haven't really thought about it much. Like, I just kind of... I was, uh, I saw the car on fire and things, but, like, when as soon as I got out, I was just like, oh, I suppose I'll go home now and collect the car in the morning or whatever. Like, we didn't really realise it would escalate so much or, like, how serious it was, so... Um, yeah, that was kind of... There was no panic or anything. It was just kind of, you know, everybody was fairly calm and things. So, I don't know. It was a bit surreal, I suppose. And has it been an inconvenience not having a car over the last few days? Um, it's not been too bad. Like, my boyfriend works in a building close to me and things so we can travel together. And, yeah, it's not... I think there's people that are worse off than me, so I can't complain. And
3: do you know where they're taking the cars No.
8: No idea. No, I've just seen them kind of being... Um, towed out of there I don't know where they're bringing them or anything so sure we'll be letting
1: OK, hopefully Maeve gets her car back uh, soon. And as it was amazing to watch it on the news last night. The car's been lifted out by the huge uh, crane uh, and a huge relief then to some of the people who, when they do get their cars back and realise that they're, uh, they're all OK because obviously as we know for 60 uh, motorists they, their cars are certainly not coming back. They are completely uh, destroyed. Thank you to Fiona who went down to take a look at that uh, yesterday. I hear that the Department of Transport this is Sandy by text. I hear the Department of Transport declaring that People with the British, British driver's licence may need to get a learner permit. I understand that the British tests were much stricter than the Irish tests ever were. Who makes these decisions? Similarly, combined MOT tests and police roadside vehicle for tyres and brakes and exterior engine and exhaust emissions, the checks in the United Kingdom far exceed the NCT uh, tests. Well, On the driving licence issue and I know we are hoping to speak with the RSA before the end of uh, soon enough I mean certainly before uh, the end of October because we are running the ads warning people if you have a British driver's licence you need to change it over to an Irish driver's licence and this is in case of a crash out no deal Brexit because as of now people with a British driving licence are driving around and they're fine and they don't need to do anything about it and they haven't need to do anything about it. But it's if Britain crash out of Brexit, then the driving licence won't be recognised here and people then could have implications for your insurance, uh, etc. So they're advising people and a huge, huge number of people are going to the NDLS you just do a straight swap over you hand in your licence and after I don't know how long it takes a week or so you'll get back an Irish driver's licence you don't have to sit a test nothing like that it's just a complete switch from one driver's license to another driving license but the danger is if you don't turn over change over I think there's about 40,000 people they reckon haven't made the change yet but if you get on to your NDLS your nearest NDLS because you have to turn up in person in order to get a driving license you will be able to do a straight uh, swap but if you don't and then there's a crash out Brexit and God knows we don't know what's happening when it comes to Brexit then you could end up in a situation where you're British license that you may have had for many, many years is deemed null and void, and you want to start all over again through the Irish uh, system. You have been warned. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, the Irish com, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
9: Good afternoon, Patricia, you?
1: I'm very, I'm very well. Now, let's get straight into a question that's come in for the last two weeks. And this listener is asking about my flamingo <coughs> trees. They're not flowering at all this year. They look like the branches are burnt. Last year, they were lovely white, pink flowers. Very poor this year. What could be the matter? And she was very good to send on some photographs that we've now finally got on to you. So you've got a cup. You've got some of the photographs. What's wrong with the flamingo she trees?
9: Did. I, I saw them and they, they are, as I thought, actually. It is salix flamingo, which is a type of willow and she kind of threw me last week in the question, and that's why I wanted to see the, the photograph, because they're not, the, the pink-whites that she's talking about aren't actually flowers, but it's the, it's the new leaves emerging, the new growth emerging is kind of pinky-white. Now, she's right, it does look a bit shook, or, or the ones in the picture look a bit shook. Um, uh, they're a grafted tree, which means they're grafted onto the uh, common willow is the main stem, and then you have the little standard flamingo on top. When they're thriving, they look fantastic. When they're not, they don't. <laughs> and, and they can be a bit troublesome. I think it, it could be a, a couple of things. It could be that it's in too windy a position. It could be that it got too wet, but that's unlikely. Um, I, but it, there is definitely signs of fungal infection. If you look clearly at the... I'm looking clearly or closely at the, the photograph, obviously, but if she looks closely at the, the, the pre itself, you, she will see some blackening on it, and that's sign of a fungal infection, the fungal dieback... So the, the first course of action is to get out with the secretaries uh, and remove any of the dying or dead branches that you can see. Um, I'll put the, If anybody has similar problems, I'll put a few pictures up on my Facebook page here in a while so you'll see what I'm talking about. But remove the dead branches, remove any black growth. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I would treat the whole bush and the soil around it then with copper sulfate mixed with water, which is a product I often recommend, Trish. It's a good organic uh broad spectrum fungicide so it can uh, control a range of fungal infections that could be affecting it and the last thing then i'd feed it i'd feed it with a good organic feed like the the nature safe either the granular nature safe or the liquid nature safe feed that's a very good feed to drive it on it's a bit like i always say when i'm dealing with plant problems i always say it's a bit like ourselves if we get an infection first of all we try and remove physically as much of the infection as possible that's what you're doing by removing the dead stems and then we treat the infection, so that's what you're doing with the, the copper sulfate. And then we give ourselves a tonic or a probiotic, or at least we should it's give ourselves a Good ourselves way of thinking tonic. of it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and you do the same with the plant. you feed the plants. Uh, it's the same; <laughs> it's just healthcare on a different species. Um, so remove the infection, treat it with the copper sulfate, uh, and then feed it with the nature safe. And hopefully all as well. If if the caller has the same problem next year. Um, I would actually suggest moving them because it could be environmental, it could be just that it's too open and too windy
1: where they are. Okay, Dennis in Skibbereen. Hi Peter, Uh, question for you. What time of the year can I take camellia cuttings as the yellow ones are impossible to get anymore?
9: They are actually yeah, they're lovely. The glories yellow and brush yellow, they are lovely. They're kind of an off-white more so than yellow but they really are lovely and very free flowering and also very early flowering. Uh, So we had this question a couple of weeks ago as well Trish and I kind of glanced over the answer, if you like, because it was the end of your program, but now is the time of year to do it, really. July, August, September is, you know, is the time to do it. But it, the reason I'm hesitating is they don't take that easy from cutting. I'm afraid. Commercially, the way it's done is the, there's uh, soil-warming cables put in so that there's, there's heat underneath to, to stimulate the root growth, uh, and then it's quite humid in the glass. So they, they create kind of artificial humidity in there. Um, to encourage them to root, which is obviously on a domestic level, these, these are things we, we can't or wouldn't really do. But now is the time to do it. If you have a little propagator that can give, you can get these little electric propagators uh, with the lid that will create a small bit of humidity and that could give some heat below. Uh, if you have one of them, use it, or maybe maybe it's Warren's going out to get one. I'm not sure what price they are. Um, take what's called a, a semi-ripe nodal cutting, I suppose it's it's kind of posh way of what we refer to as a slip. So you, you cut it basically at a node and a node is where the leaf meets the stem because the reason we the base of our cutting should always be at a node is because that's where you'll find the highest amount of auxins. And they're the, the hormones responsible for developing roots and for creating roots. There's none between the, the the nodes. They're all at the nodes. That's where the concentration of the auxins are. So basically the cutting is at a node. Remove any leaves off that node. Uh, you have what cutting kind of one, two nodes, one one at the bottom and one at the top, so probably be about four inches, uh, leave one leaf on the top node um, and none on the bottom node into a bit of rooting powder, into a good quality compost. And as I say, uh, ideally a propagator with some heat beneath uh, and, uh, and a lid to create a bit of humidity. All that being said, they're still not the easiest thing in the world to get to root worth giving it go
1: best of luck with it uh good luck with that dennis hi could you ask peter please when and what should i feed rhododendrons it was only set last year
5: just
9: before i answer that <laughs> to go back to, to go back the one other thing i could have offered with camellias uh, and i don't often th- 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 think of it and i should uh last year last week rather i think we we had somebody who was asking about they had layered a rhododendron and when was the right time to, to plant it. Yeah, I
1: remember. And, and
9: I, went, I went into explaining about layering, and I, I mentioned very briefly as well that you can also do a thing called aerial layering, which is where you don't put it into the soil, but um, yeah, I won't go into the long story, but if you Google a product called Cutting Globe, it's, it's just, I presume the website that it will come up will explain it better than I can explain it over the radio, but it's a little globe that enables you to do a, a process called aerial layering, um, and that could be a very good way of of propagating your yellow camellia, that should be more successful actually than taking cuttings. So into into Mr Google, cutting globe, have a look at them, um, and I would say maybe give that a go for your camellia. It might be more successful than the cuttings. Okay. Anyway, so Rhododendrons, what do you
1: feed a rhododendron?
9: If only planted last year. Well, hopefully you, you the, the the caller used a good compost when planting and probably a bit of fertilizer all the time. So it might even be okay for a year or two. But at this time of the year and even a bit earlier, July onwards again. I would use a good quality uh, sulfate of potash or or a good quality like goulding liquid tomato food. Um, Something that's high in phosphorus and potassium because it's July to September of this year when the rhododendron sets its flower buds for next year. Now those buds stay on the bush throughout the winter and hopefully then open up next spring. So there's no point feeding it for flowers next spring. The buds are being set now. Uh, So that's what I would feed it with now for flowering. And then for overall plant health, For any ericaceous or acid-loving plant which rhododendron is uh use a good acid plant tonic uh sequestered iron and that's just to ensure good healthy green growth however i would say that if if it's not showing any symptoms of needing that i wouldn't feed it unnecessarily let it establish it should really if the soil is good most plants should get all they need from the soil they might just need a bit of a uh, pick-me-up for flowering and things like that but if the leaves are a good yellow and they're not, are good, sorry, a good green and they're not going yellow or anything like that, they shouldn't need a Leave alone. If there's any side of yellowing, a bit of sequestered iron should sort it out.
1: Okay, Rhea in Dumamway, could you ask Peter, please? I'm clearing out my cupboard. Can I put on the compost compost heap dried lentils, pearl barley, and old flour and corn flour?
9: I would absolutely say why not. Yeah, the, 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 they're all plant-based material, so they'll all compost down again absolutely the only thing to be aware of obviously is uh, when you're putting food like that into a compost bin or heap is, is that you don't draw rodents so if it's if it's a compost tumbler or something that's suspended over the ground then fine uh, the answer to the question is yes they will break down they will compost down but my only concern would be uh, where your compost area is and that's the, the unwanted guests that it might attract
1: yeah uh, Micah says Hi Peter What could have happened to my aster plant which appears to be dying It looks like drought but every other plant around it is okay
9: That's not great news I'm afraid um, I, I would be anxious to see a photograph of that but maybe send it in to yourselves or send it in to me on Facebook The Irish Gardener you'll find me on Facebook send me in a picture I'll have a look at it I, I don't want to say what I think it might be because okay. it, it could be quite alarming but aster does get a, a disease That is a notifiable disease. Um, So send it in. We'll have a look at it before I alarm him when necessary. Okay,
1: all right. We'll we'll get back to you on that.
9: yeah, if the symptoms look like it's burning, like it, it, it got hit by a flame floor or something like that, then it, it, could be, it could be bad news. But we'll have a look okay.
1: at the photograph. All right. Hi, Peter. Looking for your views, please. On planting clematis black prints at this time of year, is there enough time for establishment before winter? Would it get a good start for next year? And is this clematis worthy of consideration to be grown over a metal arch in conjunction with honeysuckle gold flame?
9: yes yes and yes um, <laughs> so yes do plant it now because uh anything that's planted now really nature is the traditional time or sorry autumn is, is nature's traditional time for planting if you like because it does give plants a chance to get established before the growth starts next spring um uh, yeah there's plenty of time we're only 1st of September so I would say definitely plant your clematis or plant anything now at this time of the year watering should become less of a problem as we enter into the autumn winter as well though it wasn't a huge problem this summer either um, is, is it worthy of planting absolutely it's a lovely as the name suggests it's more or less black in colour it's a very dark purple it's a bit of cellar from memory which means it's kind of late summer flowering there, there'll possibly even still be a few blooms in it um, the the, the, the It's going up an arch with the... uh, With the honeysuckle golden flame, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Might be a bit hesitant there because they're both very vigorous and the honeysuckle might be even a bit more vigorous. So just depending on the size of the arch, one of them might be enough. But if it's a big enough arch... Certainly the two of them together would be nice and the the, the golden foliage of that Lannister or that Honeysuckle would contrast
1: nicely with the, yeah. the glamorous. But yeah. Jar yeah, yeah. in Newmarket has two huge Hibernicum shrubs but they're too near the footpath. Uh, when can I cut back hard without damaging them? Says chair.
9: I'm going to hazard a guess that it's Hypericum Um I would say it is, and if he's this thing, and if 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 I ask him, and obviously he can answer, but I won't hear him. If they're yellow flowering, if they're an evergreen plant with yellow flowers, their Hypericum, are or, or Rose of Sharon, or St John's work, They've loads of common names. Um, they will get quite big. They get certainly, I suppose, four feet anyway in height and width, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, they're summer flowering. there will be probably still colour on them now. I would wait. You could cut them back now just after. In fact, if they're in the way of the footpath, yes, cut them back now. If they weren't in the way, if I was going giving accurate horticultural advice, I would say you could wait till early March before cutting back. Uh, But if they're in the way of the footpath or a driveway or anything, you absolutely won't harm the plant by cutting it back now.
1: Jane has two hibiscus green and bushy, three foot high, no sign of flower.
9: I'm not surprised we're not in Portugal. <laughs> um, the hibiscus, unfortunately, they are gorgeous, but they are native to, to warmer climates. Some of them, some of I think it's Syracuse is the species, some of those species of hibiscus will will tolerate our, our, our climate. And I remember in the family home where I grew up we had a lovely hibiscus, but it, it was it never looked very happy, if you know what I mean. The leaves yeah. were always a bit sad and the flowers were never as vibrant as you'd see them on holidays unfortunately there's very little we can do it's just that it didn't get enough sunshine this year all you could do it's too late i think for flowering now but all you could do and it, it might help it may well help is to give it a feed with the with something like the, the sulfate of potash or the nature safe just to promote some flowers but you'll be doing that next spring realistically uh, feeding them the spring with the, the nature safe or the sulfate of potash to promote some flowers and then cross your fingers and pray for a good summer next year because really i think it's
1: Listeners looking for advice on cutting back Lelandi palm trees. They're 15 to 20 feet high. Wondering what time of the year you should be cutting them back?
9: You could Cut them back now if you wanted. Uh, we're coming into September. So, yeah, well, sorry, we're in September. Um, so, yeah, you could cut them back now if you wanted. Just be careful. Uh, anything that like, number one, I would tree say.
1: Surgeon. Get tree
9: surgeon. Yeah, tree surgeon job. And uh, also make sure whoever is doing it has insurance and follows all the health and safety procedures I know that may sound like a lot of bluster but it's it, it, it's it's important it's very important because it is a dangerous job at that height and make sure you obviously you're getting somebody who knows what they're doing because if you cut back too hard and if you cut into brown wood it won't green up again it won't regenerate okay. so just be careful who who's doing it for you.
1: And Margaret in Glamworth is wondering why she has worms in her new crop of potatoes.
9: I can't answer. It's wireworm or something like that. They they, they are soil burn. It, it's one of these things. I'm afraid that they, they they are there. They're in the soil. And if you've got them, my my best advice to you, unfortunately, there's very little you can do on them. There's nothing you can do for it this year. Uh, my best advice to you is to just use crop rotation and put the the potatoes elsewhere next year. Don't dream of putting them back in the same place. Uh, it's either a cutworm or a wireworm. Um, but just plant them somewhere else for next year, I'm afraid. And I, I don't have any solution for you for this year. I'm sorry about that.
1: Okay, and I always get proud when I can answer a question. John Imala wants to know, can I plant rose trees where rose trees have already been planted? No, you can't. I'll, is, I'll take and a break and is, and you answer that. Is there, is there a length of time on that? Or is it's not forever and ever and ever,
9: is it? No, it's not forever no. and ever, but it's a fair length of time. It's a thing called replant disease, Trish, and it's it's not an old wives tale. There's it's science to back it up. You can't. You might get lucky if you plant a rose there again it might survive but the chances are it won't uh, and it's 15 years Yeah, so it's 15 is it that
1: years. long wow well, yeah,
9: wow now you can i suppose technically you can plant a rose back there but you do need to to excavate the soil to a depth of least three or four feet and a diameter of three or four feet so that's quite a substantial amount of soil you need to take out and replace um but if, if you're willing to do that yes you can with fresh soil but the, the general answer is no well, it's
1: the only plant is it that does that to the best of my knowledge, of course, as soon as I say that... I know, somebody will ring in, yeah. To the best of my knowledge,
9: it's the only one that suffers from reed plant disease and yeah. roses, yeah.
1: Okay, Mick wants to know, is there anything for ivy in a golden privet hedge?
9: Uh, donkey work, I'm afraid, is the only thing. Uh, no, there's no there's no chemical cure, there's no magic wand cure for that one. It's just getting in and, and physically removing the ivy from, from in around the hedge. And it is, it is worth doing because... I have discussed this with you before, Trish, on, on, on the programme. Uh, trees and shrubs and hedges are, you know, nature's wonderful and they're, they're designed absolutely perfectly from an aerodynamical point of view to to withstand, you know, very high winds. But when you start interfering with that, so in other words when there's a foreign uh, like an ivy, foreign plant growing through it that shouldn't be there, it interferes with the wind resistance and that ivy can then act like a a, a sail to to the whole thing could blow over. So it is worth taking it out. I'm afraid because, particularly if it's the high hedge, because uh, it will just make it more vulnerable to to wind damage.
1: Okay. Um, or and just very finally and quickly, if you can answer this, somebody wants to know where can they source five foot firs for planting as a boundary hedge. Would you know? Easy to come by. Oh,
9: firs is gorse, isn't it? Firs yeah. is, is the yellow gorse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, five if foot. If that's. The, the plant they're talking about five foot high gore off, of off the top of my head I'm not sure okay. but it should be available through a garden centre no they're not going to carry it in stock I would say to you but they could but, get um, it in I would say if you call to your local garden centre tell them you're looking for it I would think uh, one of their growers may well have it Okay, um,
1: so that, that, that's because the, it's, the a, it's a I text go. I don't even know what, what part of the city or county the person is uh, calling from ok we leave it there thank you for that Peter
0: Thanks, Trish.
1: Have a good, good week. Season. Thanks, Tim, for joining us. That's uh, Peter Dowdall, the Irish Gardener.com. Gardening
0: on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale, and Enniskine. For top quality plants, advice, and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103.
1: And thank you to Barry O'Brien from the Ballydehob Summer Festival, who heard us talking earlier about the Ballydehob turnip racing and the fact that it got a mention on the front page of uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, to say I was wondering who had won, I didn't know who had won the World Championship turnip race this year. And it was Benedict Weiser. Who was on holidays from Germany, and he won the turnip race this year in Ballydehob. Thank you for that, Barry. And I'm assuming that everybody in Ballydehob, particularly all those that were involved with the festival are aware that they have made the front page of the Wall Street uh, Journal you can actually see it up online it, uh, it's, it's quite fun uh, to read it, uh, well done to everybody involved there and it's certainly going to be good for tourist numbers uh, going forward. Uh, that's where I leave you for today, my thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock and we will be counting down because the following day on uh, Friday we'll be taking the show to uh, fields of uh, Skibbereen, We'll be going there for a taste of West Cork at uh, the Food Festival, kicking off on Friday. And we're helping to kick it off by being right in the heart of the action by bringing the show and broadcasting it live between 10 and 1 of you around Skibbereen on Friday. We would love to see you. But in the meantime, we will be back with you tomorrow at 10. And Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. <coughs>
0: Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend. The weekend. By turning up the feel good. Feel C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from one and Martina O'Donoghue from four as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the Feel Good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from one. Feel Good Friday, only on C103.